Well, good morning, church. What a blessing it is to welcome you here and to worship our Savior, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, with you this morning. The title of this morning's message that I hope you got the hint as we were singing through these incredible truths this morning, uh, the title of the message is called Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance from 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 to 24. And last week we looked at, as we go through this series called Walking in the Light, verse by verse through the book of 1 John, last week we looked at the distinguishing mark that should characterize the life of a true child of God, and it is this, their love for others, specifically their love for their brothers and sisters in Christ. And this week, here's the beautiful truth that outflows from that. We're looking at the assurance. That's a big word for today. Can you say that with me? Assurance. The assurance that walking in this love for others gives us before the Lord when our hearts condemn us. When our hearts condemn us. And you say, well, well why is this even important? Why would John devote an entire section of his letter to the churches in Asia Minor to this topic? Here's why. Nothing new under the sun. There is an epidemic happening in our world. Right now. But it is one that you will rarely hear about it mentioned on the news, on the television, on the radio. But make make no mistake, you see its effects, its devastating effects all around you. And this is an epidemic of the heart. An epidemic of the heart. And it is nothing less than people living in constant guilt, condemnation, and accusation for things they have done or maybe haven't done or even perceive they have done. And most Christians are no exception to this. Instead of living with a clear conscience in the freedom and assurance of salvation they have in Jesus Christ, they are living under the crushing weight of self-condemnation that in Christ they are never intended to bear. Why? Why? Because the truth is this, and this statement will set the tone for the rest of this message, loved ones, and it is this. Our flesh, you'll see it on the screen, our flesh will always lead us into accusation before God and never towards the assurance we have in him through Jesus Christ. Our flesh will always lead us into accusation and never into assurance. And what we have to realize, church, is this, assurance, as one commentator put it this week, so uh, uh, sobered by this reality, assurance in God is designed to be the ordinary experience and privilege of the believer. Assurance in God is supposed to be the ordinary day-to-day experience and privilege of the believer. And John's focus here is to give assurance. That's why he writes this section, to give assurance to the true believers about their faith in Christ, their standing before him, and his power that is at work in them, even though their hearts may condemn them and lead them to feeling otherwise. 
If we could sum up this section of why John writes this, it would be this. He's like, church, loved ones, trust God's promises more than your perceptions. Trust God's promises more than your perceptions. Trust in faith of God's word over your feelings. Trust God's word over your worry. It's an exhortation. And here we see three crucial assurances that walking in love for one another gives that every believer must, must embrace. You must embrace these if you are to live in the blessed assurance that is ours in Christ Jesus. And to honor the authority of God's word, let's stand as we read our text this morning. 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 to 24, and it is this. By this, John says, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this penetrating truth this morning. Father, I pray right now that whatever accusation or condemnation or guilt we are sitting under right now, I pray that we would know and be refreshed and be reminded and be strengthened in the truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, that we would be able to cast our cares and anxiety on you, knowing that you care for us and right now approach the throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Father, I pray that, God, we would have humble hearts that are teachable as we come under your word, that, God, we would uh, not oppose you in, pri in pride, but, God, eagerly, longingly desire you to speak to us, that we would be changed to be more like you. Father, I ask for this, knowing that it can only come from your hand. Be with my mouth, guard it from error, and say what you want to say. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and church. If you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. The ushers are coming forward right now to hand out any Bibles that you may need. If you do not have one, just put your hand up right now. Our ushers want to put one in front of you. And also, if you do not have one at home, we want to give that to you as a free gift so you can continue to study God's word on your own. Well, as we walk in love towards one another, we see right here in the first part of this text that we have assurance of our salvation in God. As we walk in love towards one another, we have assurance of our salvation in God. And the first key truth we have to understand today is this. God is greater than our condemnation. God is greater than my condemnation. Verse 19, let's look. John says this, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. See, John begins here right out of the gate by giving the believers a statement of how they can be assured of their salvation in Jesus Christ. He says, by this. Well, what is the, what's the this that he's talking about? 
Well, he's referring to what he's just mentioned in verse 18. Let's read that. Verse 18, he says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. See, what John's referring to here is a lifestyle of sacrificial love towards others. Not just in words, you know, saying all the right things. Hey, love you, love you, love you, brother. Not just in words, but in deeds and in truth as Christ has done for us. And in this, we have assurance because here's the reality, loved ones. The only way we can hope to love like that, the only way we can hope to love self-sacrificially as Christ has laid down his life for us is by his power at work in us. We cannot do this apart from him. It has to be the work of his spirit in us. Now, now notice that word heart there. By this we shall know that we're of the truth and reassure our heart. What's the meaning there? Well, the Greek word for heart there means the affective center of our being or our conscience. Our conscience. Now, the center of our being, this is the, like the spiritual seat, one commentator said. I love that picture. The spiritual seat of our lives. This impacts the heart, impacts the mind, the will, the words, and actions. It describes the very center of our spiritual life. It's no wonder in Proverbs 4.23 that God tells us to guard it with vigilance. From, from it flow the wellsprings of life. Mind, emotions, actions, thoughts. Guard it with vigilance. Because the truth is this. Where the heart goes, we go. So, see, remember we said it last week? God's always going after the heart. He's always going after the heart. Where the heart goes, we go. How you feel will determine how you act or think if not brought under the truth of God's word. That's scary, eh? How you feel in the moment will determine how you act or think if not brought under the truth of God's word. And this is, this is crucial. As John goes on to say in verse 20, let's look. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. The Greek word for condemns there means this, to blame, to accuse, to find guilty. So whenever our heart is condemning us, we feel that self-condemnation creep in. We feel the accusation creep in. We feel an unholy guilt start to come over us. When we have an inward conviction of sin or perceived sin, John assures that no matter the condemnation they may feel from sin or the, the lack of love that they've showed to other believers and the doubts, you ever notice this? We sin, and all of a sudden these doubts come in. Am I really saved? Can I approach God? What, where am I at with this? He says, no matter that, the doubts that ones walk with God that can accompany that guilt, every true believer can be reassured that they are secure in Jesus Christ, and God is greater. Love the word greater, right? More powerful, higher, even majestic, the Greek means. Awesome. Awesome. He is greater than any condemnation that they may feel. He knows. Notice where it says there, he knows everything. I was talking about God's omniscience, his character, his wisdom to know everything, the source of wisdom. No matter than any condemnation they may feel, he knows their heart better than they do, and he still loves them as his own. Isn't that encouraging? 
that God knows your heart and mine better than we do. He knows where we're truly at better than we do. So encouraging. We can be so blind to the status of our own heart. And here's the reality, loved ones, God knows those who are his. 2 Timothy 2.19, if you don't believe me, it's there. Just take a look on your own time. God knows those who are his. I love how it sums up this key point. Rest assured, church, God's the perfect judge, not you or me. God is the perfect judge of where we're really at, not you, not me. His omniscience, knowing everything, is never based on how we may feel about ourselves. That's comforting. Trust in faith over feeling. I love how New Testament scholar at Reformed Theological Seminary, his name is Simon Kistemacher, and he put it this way, you'll see it on the screen. God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. That is, as Christians, we can always go to God, who knows us better than we know ourselves. Because God is greater than our hearts, he will show us mercy when we come to him. He will comfort us and reassure us that we are his children. And so when the devil whispers into your heart and mine, hey, hey, remember when you said that hurtful thing? Remember when you acted that way in sin against the Lord? Remember when you acted that way and the pain it caused that other person? Remember what you've done You think God loves you? You think you're an adopted child of God? You think a child of God would act like that? You think God's greater than that struggle you're having with sin right now? You think if you're really a child of God, you you wouldn't be past that already? Any of these sound familiar? When the devil whispers that, here's what God says through his word. I saw it. I know it. I feel it. But loved one, I'm greater than it. I am greater than it. You are mine. You are my child. And I love you. Come to me. And step out of your guilt and condemnation. The cross was enough. I have covered it. How do we know this? Romans 8.1. We prayed it earlier. You'll see it on the screen. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And here's the reality. For those in Christ Jesus, what is that? Those who have repented of their sin 
and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. He says, you are mine. No one can take that from you. You cannot be taken out of my hand. You cannot lose that salvation. You are in me and I am in you. Isn't it amazing, loved ones? Isn't it amazing what grace does? When the devil says, you're a mess. And you say, yes, I am a mess. But I'm a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want to clarify something with that. Our faith in Jesus Christ and the standing before God that we have because of it as his children does not, make this clear, it does not give us the right to sin. Okay? It does not give us the right to sin, but it gives us the power to repent of our sin, be forgiven, and not walk in condemnation because of it. Okay? God's grace never gives us license to sin. If there's repentance that needs to happen, bring it before the Lord and let's do it. If there's hurt that needs to be reconciled, bring it before the Lord and do it. It doesn't give us license to sin, but know this, know this. You'll see it on the screen. This thought came this week and was very sobered by it. Our confidence towards God grows out of his love and forgiveness in Christ and not from our performance. Okay? Our confidence towards God grows out of his love and forgiveness in Christ towards us and not from our performance. It free- and you know what this does? This recognition does, loved ones? It frees us to love others right in the middle of what we're facing. It frees us to love others when we're feeling the guilt, when we're feeling the condemnation. It frees us. The freedom that Christ has set us free and came to give us allows us to get beyond ourselves, get our eyes off ourselves, get our eyes back on Christ, and love our brothers and sisters in Christ as Christ has loved us. Beautiful truth, freeing truth. And John says the assurance of salvation we have in him is shown when we can love others as Christ does right in the middle of what we are going through. You notice this? You notice this? Our temptation, our flesh is natural temptation when we're, when we're sitting under condemnation, when we're feeling accused, when we're in that place of we feel isolated from God because that's where the enemy wants to take us. Our eyes so easily just get on ourselves in our own situation, don't they? But Christ says, my spirit is living in you. I saw what's going on. Come to me. Cast those anxieties on me. Repent to me what needs to be repented of. Get your eyes on me. And let's continue to move forward in my power, in my strength, loved one. To love one another as Christ has loved us. And this is why we must fight this fight and take every thought captive to obey Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5. When that condemnation comes in, We need to recognize it for what it is, bring it before the Lord, say, search me, O God, know my heart, test my anxious thoughts, see where the offensive ways are in me, and lead me in the path everlasting. And he says, yes, yes, I will. Eyes off myself, eyes onto Christ. So let me ask you a question. We sang it earlier. We need to ask this now. What are you setting your heart on today? Can we honestly, I've set my heart on you. This is what a heart that is set on Christ does. 
What are we setting our hearts on today, loved ones? You in that situation you're facing. Me in that situation I'm facing. Are we living under self-condemnation, accusation, guilt in our lives? Carrying this around. In Jesus Christ, we were never meant to bear it. The cross bared that for us, loved ones. Are we doubting our standing before God and his love for us? Hey, hey, sum it up. Where is it time to take a faith trip to end the guilt trip? To get in front of God's word and be reminded of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf and who God says we are. That there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. In our parenting, in our marriage, in our relationships, past sins, current sins, things you did or didn't do or you perceive that you should have done, bring them before the Lord. Search me, O oh God. Because the truth is this, be encouraged, church. The truth is this, if you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, the condemnation that you feel has absolutely nothing to do with your standing before God. Amen? Awesome. If you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, the condemnation, the accusation, the guilt you feel has absolutely nothing to do with your standing before God because your standing before God isn't based on your performance. It's based on Christ's perfection and his sacrifice for you and me. Praise the Lord. Amen? Oh, praise the name. Praise the name. And listening to what the enemy says about you is the quickest way to forget what God says about you. The quickest way to forget is by listening and giving ear service to the enemy. Now, okay, so let's just take a quick look. I just did a quick 30,000-foot view of a few things that God says about us. Number one, he says, you are chosen. I chose you before the foundation of the world. He says, you're chosen. Number two, he says, you are loved unconditionally by me. Not based on what you do. Totally, totally radical from this world, right? You are loved. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are adopted as my child. You are justified before me. You are righteous before me because of Christ. You are being sanctified before me, made more into my image. And there's nothing anyone can do to take you from my hand. Awesome truth, life-changing truth. Take those thoughts captive, loved ones. Bring them back to the cross under God's word. And as we walk in love for one another, we have assurance of our salvation in God. And as we are reassured, here's the beautiful flow of John's text here. As we are reassured of our salvation in God, we have confidence in our prayers before God. See this? Yeah, it's so connected. When we are assured and reassured and reassured again of our salvation in God, we have confidence in our prayers before God. Key truth for this, God will hear and answer my prayer. God will hear and answer my prayer. Look at verses 20 and 21. Goes, John goes on to say, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Okay, before we move on to exegeting this, we have to have a warning right at this stage. Be careful right here when you read this, loved ones. 
Uh, this is, without a doubt, one of the passages taken the most out of context in all of Scripture right here. And this is why I love expositional preaching, because you can't avoid the tough stuff. You just got to go there. And God calls us to go there. And so he says, uh, he says, take it. It's so often taken out of context. And, but what John's not speaking of here in these two verses, he's not speaking of a health, wealth, or prosperity gospel where we can just ask God of God anything and he will give us what we ask for. And thereby reducing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, God Almighty himself, to a genie in a bottle for us. Rub a little bit here and he'll give it to you. That's not what John is saying here. Okay, can we agree on that? All right, if you agree, say, I agree. Great, great to hear. Here's the thing, here's the thing. He's not talking about God just pouring out wealth and prosperity and a Ferrari and the bank account and the house and the health and all this stuff. And if he doesn't do that, this is what the prosperity gospel will preach. If he doesn't do that, if God's not giving you what you're asking for, the pay increase, the status increase, then it means you just don't have enough faith. Hey, we're going to talk about this next week when we jump into chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, when we talk about the spirit of the Antichrist and false teachers. Okay, tune in next week. All right? But here's the reality of where we're at here. What it does mean is this. What John does state is that the result of having a heart that is not living under condemnation before the Lord, but is assured of one's salvation in him, is this. Confidence before the Lord in prayer in two ways. Number one, approaching God as we see here. And number two, receiving from God. Approaching God in confidence and receiving from him. Now that Greek word for confidence there, what does that mean? We've got to make sure we're on the same page. Confidence in Greek means freedom of speech or boldness before the Lord. Openness before the Lord. Bold speech. Okay? Speech without a muzzle. And John says that not only can we have confidence in coming before the Lord in his presence, I love that, before him, that's a picture of the presence of God, but that as we boldly give him our request, we're not just kind of, well, maybe, but see, that's what the heart does, that's being condemned. It's like, can I even ask, can I do this, can I do, as we boldly give him our request, he will hear them and answer them. He's going to hear them. And he's going to answer them. As we live out our assurance, and why, 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 why? Why is this? Well, he tells us right in the verse. He tells us right in the verse. He says, verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Because the true child of God will desire to keep. The word for keep means to guard or watch over. Okay? The true child of God will desire to watch over God's commandment in their lives in accordance with his word, and they will do what pleases him and seek to bring him glory. Now, is John talking about sinless perfection here? No. But increasingly habitual righteousness that we are living with as we keep the commands of God and through our sanctification as Christ then lives out his life through us. Increasingly. Okay? And we can have confidence as we seek the Lord, as we ask the Lord with a clear conscience in keeping his commands, saying, God, I've done all that I can do, all that I know, all that you showed. I've sought you in this. I've asked you to search my heart, but here's what I'm coming to you with. 
This is a burden that I'm bringing before you. He said, we can be confident that God will answer our prayer in accordance with his perfect, pleasing, and loving will towards us. God will answer the prayer. It may not look like you or I think it will. It may not be when we want it to be. It may not be how we want it to be. But if we have hearts that are desiring him and increasing in righteousness and obedience to him, he says, I'm going to hear it. I'm going to answer it. And this is why Hebrews 4.16, I love this. It says, let us then with confidence. There's the same word. The confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in our time of need. The grace to help in our time of need. Here, if I could sum that up, I'd say it this way. We are always guaranteed the best outcome of our prayers in doing this. Why? Because God's will is above our own and his glory is on our agenda. Amen? We're guaranteed the best outcome. Even if it looks like we think it should or shouldn't, God's going to give us the best outcome because we want his will, his desire, and his glory. You see the distinction from the prosperity gospel to this? It's flipped on its head. See, what we see clearly here, loved ones, is condemnation will not lead you to confidence. Condemnation won't lead you to this bold confidence before the Lord. If there is doubt in our hearts about our standing before God, it will be difficult, if not impossible, to approach God boldly in prayer. See how they're so connected that's why we have to go back to what he says about us. That's why we have to abide with him through his word. Every, and I didn't say this. Not le- this has nothing to do with legalism. Every day, loved ones, we need to renew our minds in this, in who he says we are, in his truth. It is the anchor of the heart. I love how Charles Spurgeon illustrates this as a child going to their parent. You'll see it on the screen. Let's just read it slowly and let this picture clarify. Notice the link between confidence as to our rightness and power in prayer. When a child has done wrong and knows it, he cannot run to his father and ask for favors as he used to do. He feels timid in his father's presence because of the sense of his guilt. But if you and I know that we have endeavored with all our heart to love the Lord and our fellow man and to act righteously, that is with obedience in all things, we have a saved confidence which enables us to speak with God as a man speaketh with his friend. And this kind of confidence God greatly loves and he listens to those who possess it. Such people may ask what they will of God. They have learned to bring their minds into conformity with the will of God's so the desire of their heart shall be granted to them. They approach the heart of God with the heart of God, asking for it. What a savior. What truth. So question, how's your prayer life? How are you approaching the Lord in prayer right now? Doubting the standing, timidity. Yes, there's a fear of the Lord we are called to live with, yes. But that fear of the Lord frees us to walk in confidence before him through Jesus Christ who perfectly feared the Lord and now lives in us. Are we approaching God with this confidence? Let me ask you a question, it boils down. Whose will are you seeking? Whose glory is the focus? What areas in your life need to be brought 
into obedience to Christ that are hindering your prayer life? And you say, I don't know. Just ask him. Say, Lord, what is hindering me from approaching you with the confidence that you say you will bless with your will for me? Maybe it's some of the things came to mind, a lack of love that you're showing towards others. Maybe it's sinful patterns or behaviors that you're holding on to, the guilt or condemnation that you're living with. Maybe walking in in pride and not humility before the Lord and others. God opposes the proud but will give grace to the humble. And as you think about that, as you bring that before the Lord this week, even now, um, what's the next step to getting right with him? Just ask. He will show you because it's what he wants for you. See, John MacArthur puts it this way. He says, doubt ceases. You'll see it on the screen. Doubt ceases when believers are walking in faithfulness and obedience because the heart does not condemn so that insecurity and fear give way to confidence before God. And as we walk in love for one another, we have assurance of our salvation in God. And we have confidence in our prayers before God. And again, we're not talking about sinless perfection. I just have to work at this harder, and if I just believe, or if I just do that. No, no, no. The world religions around us say, do, 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 do. Jesus Christ says, done. Done. Okay, I've done that. You can't have confidence before the Lord without me. You can't approach him. You can't walk in righteousness increasingly without me. It's got to be from my Holy Spirit in you, as we'll see in the next point, in obedience to him. But we're talking about a heart that says, Lord, I need you. Lord, I want you. Have your way. Your will. Your way. So as we have confidence in our prayers before God... And our confidence grows as we walk with power in obedience to God. Assurance of salvation leads to confidence in prayer before God. And confidence grows as we walk with the power, walk with power in obedience to God. Look at verse 23. Key truth, God is in me, I'm in him. God is in me, I'm in him. Verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. See, John now identifies the two parts of the commandment upon which our assurance before God rests. Number one, ready? Did you catch the two? You'll see it on the screen. Part one is this. We must believe in God's son, Jesus Christ. Look at 23, the first part. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, okay, yeah, I believe there's a guy named Jesus. Yeah, I believe he was God. Yeah, I believe... I heard about him. Stop, that's not what he's talking about. The Greek word for believe there means this, to have faith in, to trust, or fully rely upon. To have faith in, to trust, or to fully rely upon. This is the foundation of everything else. Do you believe, do I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to earth as fully God and fully man, lived a perfect life for 33 years, didn't sin once, was nailed to a cross to pay the penalty that you and I deserved. The wrath of God poured out on him, was buried 
for three days, dead in a tomb, and was raised to life after three days, conquering sin and death and accusation and condemnation and guilt for all time. And now, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Do you trust in all of him? That means everything scripture tells us about him. Do we believe that it's true? That, uh, did you notice the worship songs today? We started with, you were the word at the beginning, and we walked our way through. Then on the third day, he was rose again. You see that? We don't do random. Praise the Lord. Okay? Do we believe who Jesus says he is? All of it. Not just parts of it. Yeah, I believe he might have been God's son, but I don't believe he raised from the dead. Yeah, I be- well, he wasn't really dead, so therefore he... Ri- stop, stop. Here's the, here's the thing about Jesus Christ. Christ is all or nothing. Christ is all or nothing. That's the belief that we're commanded to here. And, and notice this. Some of us may say, well, hey, like, we need to start having some open minds here. That's pretty narrow thinking, don't you think? That's what our world would tell us. Who says you're right and no one else is right? Hey, Jesus says we're right. How do we know? Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I just want to read it over you. Just write the reference there. He says this. Jesus says this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. That is to hell. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So yeah, it's narrow. Because Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the gate. No other religion, no other false god. Jesus is the gate. It is through Jesus Christ alone that we can be forgiven of our sin and have confidence before God. There is nothing we can do to ever earn merit before God, not by trying to act righteously. Not by, there's nothing you can do to earn this gift. There's nothing you can do to save ourselves. There is no other God this world promotes that is a gate. It's Christ alone. Christ alone. How do we know this? Let's just take God's word for it. Romans 10, 9, you'll see it on the screen. It says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Have you made that confession today? The first part of the command was believe in God's son, Jesus Christ. The second part of the command, let's keep reading, verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And here it is. And, second part, love one another just as he has commanded us. See, now recall from the previous two messages, that Greek word for love there means agapeo. Agapeo, which means to take pleasure in or to long for doing what the Lord prefers to love that person by laying 
our lives down for one another as he has laid down every part of his life for us, seeing them as precious as God sees them. Laying our lives down. How did Jesus lay his life down? Quick, quick sketch. His comfort, he laid down. His status, he laid down. His body, he laid down. And ultimately, his life, he laid down. God before me, you before me. Agapeo. And notice the order. God is a God of order. If things are in scripture in a a certain order, it's for a reason. Notice the order, verse 23, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, repent of our sin, trust in him as our Lord and Savior, and then what? Then love one another. Because it doesn't work the other way. You can't love one another as Christ intended without the power of Christ. It takes a supernatural work of God to lay our lives down this way. Notice the order. So key. And where the gospel has taken root, we have to know this, love will be the fruit. Where the gospel has taken root, love will be the fruit by his power at work in us. This is what John goes on to say in verse 24, last verse for today. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us. I loved seeing the picture of the Trinity there. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Cool, eh? Love it. Love it. But the word abide there means to remain in or to live intimately present with Christ. Abiding with him through his word. Abiding with him through prayer. Abiding with him through worship. Abiding with him through the church. As we abide together to remain in, live intimately present with Christ. John makes it clear that those who keep God's commands are the ones who are abiding in him and are genuinely saved because you can't keep his commands without him. And these are the ones he is abiding in. Now again, I want to clarify. I've got to stress this again. And yes, this is the third time around this track and we're going to take it. Here it is. We're not talking about sinless perfection, Okay? We're not talking about sinless perfection, but increasing righteousness in one's life as the Holy Spirit is at work and God is abiding in us. And I love this. Verse 24, John finishes by giving the source of all obedience to Christ in one's life. Notice that? We know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he's given us. The presence and power of the Holy Spirit in them, whom they received at the moment of salvation. No second baptism. The moment of salvation that we repent of our sin, believe in God's Son, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes in, is our guarantee of that salvation. He is our seal of that salvation. And the fruit of the Spirit starts to go to work in being birthed through our lives. Conforming us more into Christ's image. I love how John Stott put this. He said this. See it on the screen. The spirit whose presence is the test of Christ living in us, good expression, manifests himself objectively in our life and conduct. It is he who inspires us to confess Jesus as the Christ come in the flesh. It is also he who empowers us to live righteously and to love our brothers and sisters. So if we would set our hearts at rest, When they accuse and condemn us, we must look for evidence of the Spirit's working and particularly whether he is enabling us to believe in Christ, to obey God's commands, and to love our brothers. Okay? And if you want to see some of the clearest objective evidences of the fruit of the Spirit, just go to Galatians 5, 22 to 24, and notice what the very first fruit of the Spirit is. Love. Not a coincidence. Love. Okay? 
God love others. So the application from this is very clear. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and have you repented of your sin and confessed him as your Lord and Savior? Is he the gate for you? That's what it boils down to. See, this is where everything starts and what everything hinges upon. It's literally, hey, loved ones, hear this serious this moment. Important moment right here, church. Important moment. It is literally a matter of life and death, eternal assurance or eternal condemnation. That's what's in the balance. Right here. And scripture is very clear that today when you hear his voice, that, that's not you right now. That's not you right now. You haven't confessed. Don't harden your heart to that, loved ones. Don't harden your heart. God has brought you here for a purpose. We were praying that before the service. He's brought you here for a purpose. Don't harden your heart because it is abundantly clear that without a saving belief in Christ, there is no saving assurance in God. There is none. You have assurance without Christ and that is assurance that you will be eternally separated from him for eternity in hell. Part of me longs or wishes that I could somehow sugarcoat. I, mean, I, just, I can't. And be a faithful preacher of God's word. And maybe you're here and you've confessed Christ as your personal savior. And my question is this. Are you abiding with Christ and living in the assurance of your salvation? Believing God is greater than that accusation, that condemnation that is coming your way? Are you living with confidence before God in your prayers? Are you walking in the power of the Spirit and increasing obedience to God in your love for him and your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Simple question. What areas or with whom do you need to start walking in that today? What areas do you need to start walking in that increasingly obedient to Christ that you need to give over? You're like, I'm just, that's not under submission to Christ, this area here. My entertainment's not under Christ. The way I spend money is not under Christ. The way I treat my spouse is not under Christ. The way I parent kid, not under Christ. The way I uphold integrity is not under Christ. What is that for you this morning? Because when we start to walk in that, we start to live out the blessed assurance that is ours in Christ Jesus, and our hearts do not condemn. We take them back to the cross. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation purchased of God, filled with his spirit, washed in his blood. This is the testimony of all those who have confessed Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as their Lord and Savior, and none can take that away. Father, I pray right now in your name that as your word has washed over us God that by your spirit's work you would be penetrating you would be refreshing God you would be strengthening you would be convicting you would be encouraging God and Lord as we humble ourselves unto you I pray right now this would be such a place of freedom where we see those areas where we're not walking in obedience to you we see those areas where we're living in accusation we cast them on the cross of Jesus Christ knowing that the cross has covered it and we are yours. Father, I pray right now that as we sing this last song, 
God, this would not just be an anthem for a Sunday service, but Lord, would be the everyday reality anthem of our lives that we walk in as we draw close to you, knowing you will draw close to us and give us your assurance of who we are in you. May it be so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.